Good morning. Our text today is from Ephesians 4, verses 11 through um, 16, and chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing in our series on love, and we are learning that love is um, not just a many-splendid thing, and it's not, uh, in some weird sense, all you need. Um, but love is, is deep and rich, and it really is important that you and I spend a little bit of extra time, since the Bible speaks so much about it, that we understand it and that we know how to communicate it well. So uh, I, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about love, and the challenge was is that God loves us, not because of any outside compulsion, not because of anything that resides within us that is so compelling in him that he just has to love us. He has no need inside of himself to be loved, but he is fully complete and therefore free to love, and he does it freely, which makes him the greatest lover in the universe. If you think about that, it can really just blow your mind in terms of just the greatness of God and that he, out of, um, out of his own character, loves us so freely. Last week, Scott helped us understand that the greatest expression of that is through Jesus Christ. For his glory, that we would know who he is. His great love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. The great love that while we were still objects of God's wrath and completely incapable of ever making him love us, he was already there and had a plan and a purpose and he loved us. That's beautiful. And those two things are important. It's also important for us to then spend some time kind of unpacking more about what that looks like. And in the end, I think one of the things that we want to, I don't know if it's too strong of a word, confront, challenge, is that a lot of our ideas or attitudes about love can be well-intended, but just not enough. And so therefore, when you and I take a more reductionistic view or a what's the one thing kind of a perspective, that what we end up doing is not getting to the heart of something, but we end up um, characterizing something. We end up unintentionally belittling something by making it smaller than it really is. And this is a dangerous thing. Well-intended, dangerous thing. So... You know love, 
Roses and chocolate. <laughs> Ferrero Rocher. And he's walking towards the steps, which means he's walking down the steps. With, okay, you win. No, I'll come to you. Love comes to where you are. It doesn't say you come to me. I love you. I love you. And, and just so this doesn't get real weird, I love you too. Right? Because you don't want it to be weird. You don't want it to be like, wow, you do just, dude, you just gave my wife chocolate. Well, I gave him a red rose, so I love, I love him too. Tell me you like these. I love those. Yes. Everybody loves lint chocolate. I love you. Oh, I love you. I love you. Just want you to know that. And I love you too. <laughs> so, flowers and chocolate. Um, and by the way, what I just did there is really easy. Like, so easy that I had it planned, but this morning I just woke up like 10 minutes early and ran to Walmart and grabbed them. Self-checkout. It was super simple. Um, I didn't even know who I was going to give it to. Like, this wasn't, I don't know if you can tell, like, the specific people weren't planned in either service. Although I did have someone come up to me after a second service and say, hey, by the way, I really love lint chocolate, and I'll be in your Bible study on Tuesday. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. But what I just did there is just so easy. And I'm sure they're grateful. And I'm sure they might even talk about this for a little bit, but in the end... No one's doing a movie about that. Nobody's going, can you believe what Jim Johnson did? Like, now that is love. No. That's, that, that was cute, funny. I, I get it. I understand what it is. Tell me that that is not your understanding of love. Tell me that you know it's more than that. And we all go, obviously. But... I think our words betray us, or our emotions betray us, or our thoughts betray us, or all of these kind of simultaneously. When, when we respond to what somebody says, or what somebody does, or what somebody doesn't say, or what somebody doesn't do. Have you ever done this? I can't believe they said that. That was so unloving. And, and I, I don't know if it was or wasn't. I wasn't there. I don't know if it was. Or, why do you think that that wasn't loving? But because it didn't make me feel good. Then I've never had a doctor do anything loving to me ever. <laughs> and actually my dentist is in first service, but I'll say it. And a dentist has never done that to me either. <laughs> but honestly, they are so helpful. Like, I, I don't know if it's that simple. It's our expectations. You know, if, if you really loved me, and I'm not even going to tell you what you should do, you're going to have to guess. Other people call that marriage. <laughs> well-intended. Please, think well-intended. Like, do you know what to do or what not to do? And if I'm being honest, a lot of my deep convictions and thoughts about that, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago, are probably not based in scripture. They're based in what I saw my mom and dad do, um, how I related to my, my, my rather large family, how I grew up, how I, how, I, how I started dating in the fifth grade. It wasn't good. 
But that's what shaped a lot of my understandings of, of love. And every heavy metal rock ballad from the 80s. Really? And here's, here's what we all want to think. That's not me. I, I think it is more us than we realize. And so that's why our text today and, and, the, and the topic today, the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what we might want to consider like a paradox. They're not contradictions. And we're not just trying to go, oh, it's complicated and just leave it vague. We're not trying to leave it vague. We are trying to help us understand that love is more than we realize, that God is the ultimate source, that his action of Jesus is the greatest picture. And now you and I have to do the hard work of working it out together under the power of the Holy Spirit. Binding us together, holding us together, and doing the hard work. Not just flowers and candy. Not just, oh, you look beautiful on a Facebook post. So cute. What is that? That is encouragement at its best. No, it's well-intended. It's, I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if it's bad. It might be feeding the monster. And I think you and I, need to, you and I need to grow up so that our understanding of love, our expectations of love, said and unsaid, the way that we speak to one another. By the way, I'm not just talking about we speak the truth in love and it's, it's conflict and obstacles and difficulties. No, it's everyday conversations. It is radically transforming the way that we communicate with one another, with our words and with our With our, with our silence. And realizing that love speaks and sometimes love doesn't say anything. By the power of the Holy Spirit. To accomplish his work in us. Um, so here is what, love is not easy. This is a great book. I, I took this from Kim's office. So sorry, I took it from your office. I, don't, I didn't think you'd mind <laughs> It's called Read the Bible With Me, and it's, it's a great book. I think it's, it's for toddlers. Um, it's a great book, um, and, and one, of the, one of the things that I love about this book is, is that I just had no idea. Here's Jesus, and the, there are the, the wise men, and there's, there's his kitten, <laughs> which I, honestly, I didn't know that he had a kitten, but I, I, he does. Obviously, he has a kitten, and if you want to know how you know, it's not the only time kitten appears in the Bible. Right here, just a few pages earlier, when he's born, there are two kittens in the manger. <laughs> so that's how we know that Jesus had a kitten, or multiple kittens, right? Um, and Abraham had a dog, <laughs> right? Even though they were unclean in the Old Testament, Abraham still had one. Here's Noah and his friendly bird, <laughs> right? And, and, and we laugh, and, but it's for toddlers, and I totally agree with you. Like this has a rightful place. If you brought this this morning as your Bible, when Lyric is reading, you're literally going, I can't find that. Where's Ephesians? Yeah, there's no Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Like that's not in here either. And you might say, well, that's because it's a toddler's Bible. No, exactly. It is a toddler's Bible. And there is a time for this. And then there's a time to say, this is for me now when I'm speaking to my kids or to my grandkids. 
This is for me when company comes over and there's a toddler and then I get out my toddler's book and I sit down and I begin to share with them. There's nothing wrong with this. And there's nothing wrong with chocolate and candy. Nothing at all. Amen? Tell me your love is more than that. Like, like, and you do. Tell me you want more than that. Morgan, I went into your office. The one-minute Bible. Hear me. Nothing wrong with this. Nothing at all wrong with this. If you want to add to your daily Bible study a one-minute in the morning, quick, while I'm eating, I'm going to spend a minute and I'm going to go through this. And there's one for every day of the year. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to go through it. Nothing wrong with that. If all you're having is a one-minute Bible, then at best, you might be having like a 15-minute spiritual walk. Like it just, it doesn't cut it. It has its place. It just doesn't do it. This and this does not replace this. And how do you know? Because this, you can't get it in a minute. Like you can't get it in a minute. It just doesn't work like that. Like it's going to demand more of you and love is like that. It's going to demand more of you and it's going to take you to places that you didn't know you were gonna go. And notice I'm smiling. And it will take you places that you had no idea that you were gonna go and notice I'm not smiling. That's what love does. And that's why this book on love in its fullness is something that we need to demand um, that our spiritual walk takes us both to and through. So love is not easy. And, and here's the second thing. Love demands discernment. Discernment. And this is what a lot of people don't spend time working on. And I'm, I'm talking about, when I say people, I mean, like, this is something I don't spend a lot of time. I, 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 I confess, I've spent too much of my time just um, thinking and feeling and then just responding so thinking, and then more thoughts about those thoughts, and more thoughts about those thoughts, but it's, it's far more, it, it sounds so well thought out, but it's not. My thought, my thinking is not that clean. It, it can be jumbled, and, and, and by the way, all of my thoughts are connected to some pretty deep and powerful emotions. And so I find myself being pulled back and forth, to and fro. And my heart pulls me in one direction, and my mind is pulling me in that same direction and then my heart pulls me in another direction. My mind won't go. And by the way, I haven't said which one is best because sometimes I don't know. And what the Bible says is, stay with it, discern, grow in wisdom. And, and that's what love is about. Love is not just about, okay, I'm just gonna let go and let God. I understand, I think. L love is, uh, it's, it's so funny, I'm not allowed to say because Jesus says that children get it better than anybody else. But it also actually says that, like, don't stay a child. So you, you need discernment to try to understand what both ideas are trying to hold together. 
And I really think that actually what we even have in our culture today is such a, um, an unintended opposition to discernment and wisdom that we are, we are left to faulty thinking and faulty feeling. Both of them. And that is why we don't love well. I think that is why we're so reactionary. I think that's why we're so offended. Why? Because we love that so much and you don't. We care so much about this. It's about love. I can't believe you didn't say anything. You should have said something. It's about love. I think you could trace it back. It's about love. But it's about discernment. I also think that that is why, um, I, I don't know if it's increased or not, but the fascination that we have with knowing God's will through some kind of, uh, not wisdom, but through something else is a way that we can abdicate the hard work and responsibility of knowing God and knowing God and in relationship and in community, knowing God. We want to somehow remove the risk. How do you know who you're supposed to marry? Well, I'm praying about it. Okay, I'm all for praying about it. But how do you know who you're supposed to marry? I promise you're doing more than praying about it. Well, what career path should I pick? Well, I'm praying about it. Totally agree. You should pray about it. How are you deciding what career choice you're going to make? And, and again, what, what we try to bypass, and we, we can sound far more noble when we talk about, I'm, I'm pursuing the Lord's will. It's interesting, the Lord's will is all through this love text in Ephesians. It's about growing up and discerning and learning, using our gifts and living in community and speaking and listening to one another. That's how you grow up. And love demands discernment. I want to give you seven Proverbs that I'm not going to be teaching each of them. I just want you to hear them. Seven, I, I recommend you write them down. And it just shows you uh, the power and the Bible's intention on discernment about love that you are supposed to learn. And here's what I think the Bible teaches constantly. Is that we, we, we get an understanding. When I say a glimpse, I don't mean something small, but we, we see, we recognize God or his word, and then we reorient ourselves. And then as we go through life, we are moving, and then we see it again, and we reorient ourselves. And as we get closer to the truth, and as we know the truth, and as we live in the truth, we are constantly orienting and reorienting ourselves onto who God is. And therefore, we're learning. Proverbs 16, 23. The heart of a wise person instructs his mouth. <laughs> Notice it says heart. Um, in, the, in the Bible, heart is not the, the place for emotions and the mind is the place for thoughts. No, both of them kind of are the description. In the Old Testament, heart is the, the, the place where both are happening, thoughts and feelings. It is the heart of a wise person that instructs his mouth. It adds learning to his speech, which means we grow up in love. It's not just the same. We, we can love more or less. Proverbs chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will indeed rejoice. My innermost well-being, my innermost being will celebrate when your lips say what is right. Huh. When your lips say what is right. 
So one of the things that this book warns against are silly speaking. And when I say silly, I don't just mean silly in terms of content. I mean kind of like the silly kind of manipulative that I think sometimes we could be guilty of calling it encouragement. Well, I was just trying to encourage them. Remember, encourage means to instill courage. It's not flattery. It's not well-intended, nice things to be said to make people feel better than they are, which may or may not be actually true. That's not encouragement. So it says, my innermost being celebrates when our lips, when, when we're speaking to one another and the way that we are speaking to one another is right. And how often in our conversations that we're having do we care about it being right or true? I had someone in, in, in my office, and this is actually a pretty regular thing, and, and I, I can tell, um, and I, I've done this myself, but I can tell that something is broken with us when we pit things that are never meant to be against one another against one another. And the two things that we like to pit against one another are love and truth. Like, I, 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 I didn't need the truth at that moment. I needed love. Can it be love if it's not true? And can it be true if it's not love? See, I need to grow up. We, we pit them against one another. The Bible never does, but we do. No, my heart rejoices when, when, when my lips say what is right. Proverbs 15, 28. The mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out evil things. Think about how many things you, you do not have to apologize for if you did not speak or tweet or respond like you did. Think discernment, did that need to be said? Did that need to be said? Was silence more appropriate? Was silence less appropriate? Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. My dad taught me this one all the time. Where there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent doesn't say never speak. See, what, what Proverbs is teaching us is the same thing that Augustine loved to teach, that in the end, always no and always yes are not good answers because they don't involve discernment. You've heard me say this. To always talk, to never talk, is the coward's way in a relationship. To completely shut down or to just feel like you've got to speak and answer every little thing. Both of those approaches require no discernment. And the invitation of Proverbs is come and learn. Come and learn. And, and by the way, like I'm going to give you some instruction. And then it leaves it with you and says, now you go figure it out. Like, Jared, you're married. So you take this home with you. It's like a baby. What do I do with it? You don't know yet, but what do I do with it? What am I supposed to do with this? Well, you're supposed to grow it up like you grow up. 
I don't know if I can do this. No, 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 we don't know if you can do it either. (laughs) We're here to help. That's wisdom. That's discernment. I would argue that's love in a biblical sense. Proverbs 18, 13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for himself. Proverbs 28, verse 23, the one who rebukes a person will later find more favor than the one who flatters with his tongue. I had someone come to me one time and said, I need your help. And I thought it was a little strange. And I asked her, like, so why are you coming to me? And she said to me, because I just, I mean, these are some people in my life and they mean well, but they just, they don't, I think they tell me what I want to hear and I don't know if they're willing to tell me what I need to hear. And I know you will. And I I was both feeling that was a compliment and a dig at the same time. (laughs) And it probably was rightfully so. I took it as both. I took it as, oh, she knows. I'll tell her exactly what I think. That's cool. And I thought, oh, she only thinks I'll tell her what I think. That's not so cool. Isn't that interesting? But if you can't take a rebuke, can I just say that one of the greatest lessons, when you look at these texts that speak about speaking and not speaking. We always think about, we're the one doing it. We're the one talking. We're the one not talking. We're the one talking. We're the one not talking. And it's always us at the center. And I would say one of the best things that you and I can do is think about it on the other side. And what I mean by that is this. How do I uh, present myself? How do I uh, demonstrate my desire and my, my, uh, my, my welcoming of conversations or silence as necessary? How how do I help people know that I want to hear right things about me even if they're hard? That I wanna hear a rebuke, I'm willing to hear a rebuke. Like so often we're the ones speaking. And by the way, that is part of what we're doing. How many of you, how many of you know, this isn't a raise your hand moment, how many of you know someone and you would say something but you know what they would do and so you're not gonna say anything? Right? Fair? Yeah, that's what somebody just thought about you in that moment. Oh, not me. They were thinking of you, Jim. Oh, probably. But I promise, somebody was thinking about you. What can I do to help people know that out of love, like I'm here to receive. I'm here to trust in the silence and I'm here to be humbled by the rebuke or strengthened by the words of encouragement. I'm here. I'm here to love and to be loved and to engage I really think that, do you realize we could so dial down the temperature in our culture? Not just by not being offended all the time, but by demonstrating a welcomed attitude and spirit for conversations, dialogue, and silence. 
But what if we became the people of God who so knew how to not do this? And by that, I don't mean accuse. I just mean to be the one acting and literally be better receivers. In Proverbs 17, 9, whoever conceals an offense, this one blows my mind. I'm going through the Proverbs every month. And whenever I hear this one, I'm always shocked by it. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love. Whenever I hear that, I just want to go, you're wrong. Hiding sin, that's the problem. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love. I have, there is something in me that hates this proverb. And I've got so many yeah buts to this, to this verse. By the way, I have them on almost every one here. And the good news is they're called Proverbs. They have yeah buts intended. They're Proverbs. They are general words of wisdom. And so you can't just make it fit. You can't just apply it irresponsibly. It's a proverb. It demands wisdom. Well, what's the point of that? Exactly. If you don't want to do the hard work of knowing how to use the proverb, then you'll never get it. If you don't want to do the hard work of knowing how to love beyond chocolate and flowers, then you're not worthy of the love. And so we actually see this wisdom that comes out. Whoever conceals an offense, meaning they don't talk about it. Well, listen, I know what you think, but I promise I'm not gossiping. I just feel like people need to know. Sure. And by the way, before you go any further, realize I'll know by the end of this, as best as I can discern, whether or not that is true or not true. I know the temptation to just speak the truth, which by the way, it also benefits me in my position. That's an aside. I'm just, just saying what happened, that's all I'm doing, and I just feel like you need to know. Yeah, kind of like when your kids come home from college, I've said to them, there's some things we don't need to know. Right, some of you are arguing, what are you talking about? I'm telling you. Andrew and I are of that conviction. There are some things we don't need to know. And you want to know why? Because God's got it. And that's why there are some times that we speak and sometimes that we don't speak. It's, it's why we are committed to learning the way of love and discernment. Because God's got it. God's got it, and so I need to say something. Hear me, that's actually, I'm not, God's got it, and so I need to say something. Here's what he said. And it can be a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of rebuke, a word of whatever. But it's a well-intended word in the hands of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will do its work in the life of someone else. And the same thing is true about silence. I don't need to say something. I promise at the end of this sermon, you will probably go, I just, I wish he was more concrete. I do too. By the nature, I think of scripture, and by the nature of this particular topic, all I can do is point. All I can do is say these things are true. 
And I promise that the Holy Spirit will be here. And I promise that the Bible will be our guide. And I promise that we should do this in biblical community. And I promise that when you get it wrong, if you stay with it, you'll learn to get it right. But now it's time to go. Fine, I'll take it home, but I don't know if I'll raise it right. So can I give you some, some, uh, some suggestions to guide you in this? And, and again, you're going to wish, maybe, uh, in my mind, you're going to wish I said more, but I'm not going to. Question number one. When you're thinking about, do I talk, do I not talk? Word of encouragement, don't just think in terms of rebuke and confront sin. I'm talking about the entire speaking conversation or non-conversation that you have with the people around you. Question number one that you need to ask is this. What is our relationship? Who am I speaking to? What is my relationship to this person? Like, can you imagine if all your people on Facebook, all your friends on Facebook were actually friends? That might be helpful. I used to do this. Um, sometimes I would just take a look and go, I don't even know who that person is. How, do I, how, did that, how's, how is that person my friend? Now, by the way, they've got lots of opinions about the post that I did recently, either affirming me or not affirming me. By the way, that, that kind of invitation that you would make for people to comment into your life when you probably don't even know them. Generally speaking, I would argue, is incredibly foolish. Generally speaking. It, I would guess, it, I, I would guess, okay, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the increased anxiety is the kind of, this growing level of vulnerability because now everybody has a comment on everything. Fair? And maybe we were less anxious X number of years ago when the people speaking or not speaking into our lives, offering words of encouragement, offering words of support, or offering words of rebuke or words of correction, were like the real people in our lives with us in it every day. Who knew better? I mean, I'm not an expert. Correlation? I think so. What is my relationship? The other thing I would tell you is this. When I think what is our relationship, I recognize my relationships. And it allows me to go, I need to probably spend more time here and less time critiquing your wife. Like maybe I need to, here's a biblical idea. Maybe I need to spend more attention on my own children and my grandchildren than on your kids. You think? What is my relationship? By the way, that doesn't mean, again, you're going, that's right, they need to stop and they need to, listen, these are words of wisdom. But generally speaking, what is the relationship? It also challenges me to go, I need to develop some of these relationships. Like there are some people I almost want to keep at a distance because I don't, don't have the time, I don't have the energy. Even though the Holy Spirit is demanding, you need to take the time and you need to spend the energy. Huh. Number two, what is my responsibility? This is closely associated with number one. What is my responsibility? Do I have a responsibility to speak? Do I have a responsibility of say not, to say nothing? Do I have a responsibility to try to breathe life and hope into this broken person? 
What is my responsibility to hear these words from my good friend or from a total stranger? And to be able to discern. I, I, I really struggled to discern because everybody's got an idea. And I'm not just talking about like um, social media. I'm talking about like even years ago. Um, everybody, when they would hear about something, they even felt back then like they had a, an idea. And I had a really hard time differentiating in my mind the different voices that were speaking. And, and, and I, 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 didn't, I didn't know that like my dad should mean this and my wife should mean this and my kids should mean this and that a total stranger should mean this. I'm not excusing total strangers or considering them to be nothing. I'm going, they don't know me. They don't understand. And yet, I, if you treat everybody the same, again, not thinking, not wise. What is my responsibility, to listen or to speak, to be silent? Number three, what is my and their maturity? Again, discernment demands that you and I recognize and um, acknowledge the complexity of life. So if your whole approach is, we're all the same maturity, first of all, I don't think you believe that. I think that's what you say because you don't wanna, you don't wanna come across as that you're better or somebody's less. I mean, I, none of us should want to come across that way. But I promise, you think you're more mature than that, than them, right? You know, you think you are, right? And that's why it's good before you engage in any kind of loving interaction with someone through silence or speaking, what is the maturity? And it's, I will never use the phrase, or at least I hope I never use the phrase, so that you don't waste your time, I promise. I've seen what we do with our time. It's not as valuable as we pretend it is. Well, actually, it is as valuable, but we spend it foolishly a lot. So I'm not trying to save time. I'm trying to develop our walk with Christ and so that you and I are engaged in real relationships, loving, listening, speaking, not speaking. And part of that whole engagement is, what is my maturity on this issue? Introspection. What is their maturity on this? And again, I'm not trying to save time. I'm trying to go, I don't know if this is beneficial. I think this could go south. Have you ever had somebody say, hey, I'd love to meet for coffee. I'd like to talk to you about something. And your first thought is, oh, what did I do? It won't take long. Okay, good. So there you are at Aspen. Four hours later. Is it just me? Oh, I know. You're, you're a balanced person. Well, okay. Um, but you were there, right? And you're there. And how did this happen? I wasn't expecting this. I didn't see this coming. And the answer is, is that what, what, what's happening, and maybe you needed to be the four hours, I don't know. To be able to gauge proactively and in the moment the maturity level of everybody, and again, all we can do is, is the best that we can do. All we can do is to discern to the best of our discernment and I think that would help us if we wouldn't just treat everybody the same or we wouldn't even, um, we, we would have a right assessment of ourselves like if you're not very mature, which has to be some of us, if we're not very mature, maybe we don't need to be talking like we are and assessing situations and complex problems. Like I remember when the war broke out in Ukraine, February 25th, and I knew everything about it because I had a son in Poland, you know. 
And I'm still finding out stuff that I had no idea it was that complicated. Didn't stop me from talking. Okay, but that's war. Yeah, you think your friend's marriage? You, you think your friend's understanding of their sexual orientation? You think you just get it? You think you know exactly what you're supposed to speak or to not say anything at all if that's how you're gonna operate it? We don't. Maturity level is a huge part of this. Next, is there someone who could help me discern in the situation? Is there someone else? Um, this is where preachers need to stop using Matthew 18 and, and Christian people need to stop using Matthew 18 wrongly. Matthew 18 is, as a rule of thumb, it is really, really good to go to the person that has wronged you, to a person who is in sin, just the two of you, you need to do that. that, is the, that, is a, that is a, there's wisdom in that. But that is not saying that if somebody has a problem, it can also be a wise thing to get help before you address the problem. I mean, I promise, you got a problem with me and you're afraid to talk with me, although I really hope I'm open and wanna hear it, you can always talk to Paul Weiss. I'm more than glad. You can talk to Mark Prather. You can talk to Drew Moss. You can talk to Amy Moss. I'm totally cool with you getting advice from them about how to deal with me. And I will never go, Matthew 18 says... Yeah, don't, don't misuse Matthew 18. Do you realize, again, find someone mature. Do you realize how you would know how, when, and what to say or not say if you involved somebody else that was maybe a little wiser than you? I, I, I try to use this one a lot. And then lastly, just, and this is the tough part, is should I speak or remain silent? Okay, well, what is it, Jim? I don't know. I don't know. I believe the Spirit will lead you. I believe Scripture will guide you. And I do believe the more that you do it, and the more that you struggle through it, and the more you, that you get it wrong and wrong and right and right and wrong and wrong and right and right and right and wrong and right and right and right and wrong and wrong and right and right and right and right and right, I think you will get better. That's what wisdom does. Let me... Let me, let me read to you two verses and then I'm done. This is what, these are our texts. Ephesians 4 says this, and then by speaking this truth in love, and then we will no longer, bearing with one another is how the chapter begins. Let us bear with one another. Let us put up with one another. Then we will no longer be like little children tossed by the waves and blown back and forth by every teaching, by human cunning and cleverness in its techniques and deceit. Which, by the way, a big part of that is, you know what the loving thing is? That is such a deceitful, manipulative description. If that is what this says, I'm in. But if that is what you heard from an REO Speedwagon song in the 80s, I'm not in. Does that make sense? It is through scripture we will not be tossed. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body, building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. It is this constant engagement. And what I love about this is I've always used this more about the using of our gifts. In the middle of that is by talking with one another, which sometimes means silence. So here's my sermon in a sentence. Only by committing ourselves to God and to his will 
his will for us? Will we properly love one another with our speech and with our silence? Only by committing ourselves to God and to his will for us will we ever properly love one another with our speech and with our silence. And that is why, I won't read the whole text, but that is why um, the last text that Lyric read from Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says, you need to just be careful how you walk, which is how you live. And when you speak, sing it. Like when you're offering words of encouragement to one another, sing it. Singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and give thanks to God. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Meaning, don't say stupid stuff and be uncontrolled, but be controlled by the Spirit and by the ways and the plans of God. That's what love does. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, There's a time for everything under the sun, a time to speak, and a time to be silent. Time to be silent and a time to speak is what Ecclesiastes 3 says. And it takes a discerning, spirit-led person committed to the way of God to know which one is which. And therefore, may you and I be committed to know God's will and God's plan and God's purpose for us so that our speech can be honoring to him. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, had an incredible blending together of silence and dialogue. Jesus, standing before someone in a trial, refused to engage in the conversation. You're not gonna speak? And Jesus had no compulsion to speak. There really is, in all of our relationships, and that's why Jesus needs to be the example knowing when and how to speak, speaking the truth in love. The more that I think about communion and how it literally serves as the paradigm for all of life, Jesus operated by knowing when to speak and when to act, when to describe, and then when to just through his life describe something. And that's what we should be modeling. That's what we should be looking to. So that you and I would realize that there are some times just my actions speak louder than words. And there are other times I need to explain to you why I acted that way. Both are needed. And we find both here. When Jesus said to them, this is my body, which I I break and I now give to you. And he used words to explain that. And then there was silence when they ate. This is the cup for you, for you. And they drank. May we, for the glory of God, the benefit of those we love, be committed to know the way of God and to respond faithfully. Now let us do that by responding faithfully in song.